Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the Tuesday, December 19th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a Christian worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing some great work for the kingdom. I would definitely encourage you to go on over there. I will guarantee you, you're going to find something over there you want to listen to. And there's a really good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right. Well, like I said, for this week, we're not going to be doing our normal Bible study in the gospel of John. Um, But I do have some stuff I want to say. We're going to do our regular reading. Again, we're in the minor prophets and revelation. We're trying, we're coming towards the end of our read the Bible in a year plan. Uh, We're going to continue using the same plan in the new year, so we'll start right back over. But um, I'm also going to speak on something that had kind of hit me, and considering we're heading towards Christmas Eve and the celebration of the birth of the Christ child, um, was the humbleness of the Christ child, the humbleness of his birth. So I'm addressing a few different things as we move along. So let's go ahead and open up with prayer. We're going to open up with the third day morning prayer. It's called God creator and controller. Let's pray. Most high God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name, make mention of his righteousness only, plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty, and made it honorable. May we be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use not abuse its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary. When we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way, excite in us abhorrence of sin, wean us from the present evil world. Assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land where none is ever sick, and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right, our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for December 19th. The text is from Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. If the disposal of the lot is the Lord's, whose is the arrangement of our whole life. If the simple casting of a lot is guided by him, 
how much more the events of our entire life, especially when we are told by our blessed Savior, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Not a sparrow falleth to the ground without your father. It would bring a holy calm over your mind, dear friend, if you were always to remember this. It would so relieve your mind from anxiety that you would be the better able to walk in patience, quiet, and cheerfulness as a Christian should. When a man is anxious, he cannot pray with faith. When he is troubled about the world, he cannot serve his master. His thoughts are serving himself. If you would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all things would then be added unto you. You are meddling with Christ's business and neglecting your own when you fret about your lot and circumstances. You have been trying, providing work, and forgetting that it is yours to obey. Be wise and attend to the obeying, and let Christ manage the providing. Come and survey your father's storehouse and ask whether he will let you starve while he has laid up so great an abundance in his garner. Look at his heart of mercy. See if that can ever prove unkind. Look at his inscrutable wisdom. See if that will ever be at fault. Above all, look up to Jesus Christ, your intercessor, and ask yourself while he pleads, can your father deal ungraciously with you? If he remembers even sparrows, will he forget one of the least of his poor children? Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain thee. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. My soul rest happy in thy low estate, nor hope nor wish to be esteemed or great. To take the impress, impress of the will divine, be that thy glory and those riches thine. All right. Our reading for today, we're going to be in Zephaniah, Zephaniah 1, 2, and 3, Revelation 10, Psalm 138, and Proverbs 30, verses 11 through 14. So Zephaniah 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The word of Yahweh, which came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, son of Jedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will completely end all things from the face of the ground, declares Yahweh. I will end man and beast. I will end the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins among with, along with the wicked. And I will cut off man from the face of the ground, declares Yahweh. So I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the names of the idolatrous priests along with the priests and those who worship on the housetops, the host of heaven, and those who worship and swear to Yahweh, and yet swear by Milcom, and those who have turned back from following Yahweh, and those who have not sought Yahweh or inquired of him. Be silent before Lord Yahweh, for the day of Yahweh is near, for Yahweh has prepared a sacrifice. He has set apart his guests. Then it will be on the day of Yahweh's sacrifice that I will punish the princes, the king's sons, and all who clothe themselves with foreign garments. And I will punish on that day all who leap on the temple threshold, who fill the house of their Lord with violence and deceit. And it will be in that day, declares Yahweh, that there will be the sound of a cry from the fish gate, and a wail from the second quarter, and a great destruction from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the people of Canaan will be silenced. All who weigh out silver will be cut off, and it will be at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are stagnant in spirit, who say in their hearts, Yahweh will not do good or evil, and it will be that their wealth will become spoil. 
and their houses desolate. Indeed, they will build houses, but not inhabit them, and plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. Near is the great day of Yahweh, near and coming very quickly. Oh, the sound, the day of Yahweh! In it the mighty man cries out bitterly, A day of fury is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and thick darkness, a day of clouds and dense gloom, a day of trumpet and loud shouting against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against Yahweh and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the fury of Yahweh, and all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete destruction, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. Alright, Zephaniah 2 Gather yourselves together, indeed gather, O nation without shame, before the decree, decree takes effect, the day passes like the chaff, before the burning anger of Yahweh comes upon you, before the day of Yahweh's anger comes upon you. Seek Yahweh, all you humble of the earth, who have worked his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of Yahweh's anger. For Gaza will be forsaken, and Ashkelon a desolation. Ashdod will be driven out at noon, and Ekron will be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Cherethites. The word of Yahweh is against you. O Canaan, land of the Philistines, and I will make you perish, so that there will be no inhabitant. So the seacoast will be pastures, with caves for shepherds and folds for flocks, and the coast will be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They will feed upon it in the houses of Ashkelon, they will lie down at evening. For Yahweh their God will care for them and restore their fortune. I have heard the reproach of Moab and the revilings of the sons of Ammon with which they have reproached my people, and magnified themselves against their territory. Therefore as I live, declares Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab will be like Sodom, and the sons of Ammon like Gomorrah, a place possessed by nettles and salt pits, and a perpetual desolation. The remnant of my people will plunder them, and the remainder of my nation will inherit them. This they will have in return for their pride, because they have reproached and magnified themselves against the people of Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh will be fearsome to them, for he will starve all the gods of the earth, and all the coastlands of the nations will bow down to him, every one from his own place. You also, O Ethiopians, will be slain by my sword, and he will stretch out his hand against the north, and cause Assyria to perish, and he will make Nineveh a desolation. Parched like the wilderness, flocks will lie down in her midst, all the beasts of the nation, both the pelican and the hedgehog, will lodge in the tops of her pillars. Their voice will sing in the window. Ruin will be on the threshold, for he has laid bare the cedar work. This is the exultant city, which inhabits securely, who says in her heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. How she has become an object of horror, a resting place for beasts. Everyone who passes by her will hiss and wave his hand in contempt. Zephaniah 3 Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressive city! She did not listen to any voice. She did not receive discipline. She did not trust in Yahweh. She did not draw near to her God. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves at evening. They leave nothing to gnaw for the morning. 
Her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. Her priests have profaned the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. Yahweh is righteous in her midst. He will do no injustice. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their corner towers are desolate. I have made their streets a waste, with no one passing by. Their cities are laid waste, without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me, receive discipline, so her abode will not, not be cut off, according to all that I have appointed concerning her. But they were eager to corrupt all their deeds. Therefore wait for me, declares Yahweh, for the day when I rise up is a witness. Indeed, my judgment is to assemble nations, to gather kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. For then I will change them to peoples with purified lips, that all of them may call on the name of Yahweh, to serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshippers, my scattered ones, will bring my offerings. In that day, Sorry, in that day you will feel no shame because of all your deeds by which you have transgressed against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proud, exulting ones, and you will never again be haughty on my, I'm sorry, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. But I will cause to remain in your midst a lowly and poor people, and they will take refuge in the name of Yahweh. The remnant of Israel will do no injustice and not speak falsehood, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths, for they will feed and lie down, with no one to make them tremble. Sing for joy, O daughter of Zion, make a loud shout, O Israel. Be glad and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Yahweh has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, Yahweh, is in your midst. You will fear evil no more. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your heart I'm sorry, do not let your hands fall limp. Yahweh your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will be joyful over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with joyful singing. I will assemble those who grieve about the appointed feast. They were from you, O Zion. The reproach of exile is a burden on them. Behold, I am going to deal at that time with all those who afflict you, and I will save the lame and gather the banished, and I will turn them in their shame into praise and a name in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you to be a name and a praise among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says Yahweh. Revelation 10 Then I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little scroll which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea, and his left on the earth. And he cried out with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the earth lifted up his right hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, 
who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, as he proclaimed good news to his slaves, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me, saying, Go, take the scroll which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll out of the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Psalm 138 of David. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will worship towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth, O Yahweh, will give you thanks when they hear the words of your mouth and they will sing of the ways of Yahweh. For great is the glory of Yahweh, for Yahweh is high, yet he sees the lowly. But the one who exalts himself he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of distress, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. Yahweh will accomplish what concerns me. O Yahweh, your loving kindness endures forever. Do not fall, do not fail the works of your hands. Finally, Proverbs 30, verses 11 through 14. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is clean in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how haughty are its eyes, and its eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and its fangs like knives to devour the afflicted from the earth and the needy from among men. All right. Well, so that is our reading for the day. And again, I wanted to, uh, I, I had kind of set up, I wanted to speak of the humbleness of the Christ child and, uh, and basically the humbleness of his birth. Um, because we, there's obviously a, you know, a clear misperception. I mean, we, we see that as, as we've been working through John, um, I've shown you clearly, you know, that, the, that the disciples, had a clear misunderstanding of what the Messiah was supposed to be. They saw him as a temporal, as a temporal leader, as a temporal king, as a temporal savior. Um, and the, the sad fact is they still do today, like, like I brought up. And again, I love to listen to the guy's stuff, and he's very, very solid on sociopolitical stuff. Um, but, um, and of course I went blank, Ben, uh, Ben Shapiro, sorry. Um, you know, he, he, he still, you know, he, he voices that. And I mean, it's true within the Jewish community. They're still looking for that religious leader to come and put his boot on the, on the necks of everybody around them, everybody that's troubling them, you know, like I'm sure it would be Hamas and all of that so that they would be free of any kind of persecution. And the sad fact is that's not what the scriptures say. 
I mean, and these are their own scriptures. These are not Christian scriptures. These, this is the Old Testament. is very, very clear that this is a servant that is coming. He is, yes, a king, but he's coming as a servant, and he's coming to deal with the spiritual. I mean, e- even in the Old Testament, it makes clear to them that the circumcision, the physical circumcision was supposed to be a sign of the internal circumcision, and they got so caught up in the physical, you know, it, they, they became very, very legalistic. Thus why Jesus is... is struggling and he's not really struggling he knows exactly what he's dealing with but why he's constantly in conflict with the religious elite in 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 um, israel in the first century during his ministry because they've turned it into a false religion it's not valid anymore and that's why they don't understand the humbleness of the birth of the christ child that this could be the birth of their king that this could be the birth of the ruler of the earth, that this could be the the birth of their savior. They don't understand it. Um, and, and honestly, Christians out there don't understand it either. Again, I've, I talked about it last night that we, we get very caught up in self-righteousness and our own righteousness. Um, and we, we being the humans we are, we struggle because we, we want to take steps to try to make ourselves acceptable. And the fact is we're not going to be Um, And I read to you from Philippians 2, I think it was Philippians 2 last night. I think those are the verses where it talks about Jesus humbling himself. That was the whole point of the son of God is he humbled himself. So last night we talked about the humbleness of the stable. Well, what I want to talk about tonight is the humbleness of Bethlehem itself, the humbleness of the village where he was born. Um, and, And actually I'm going to talk about it's, I, I'm going to talk about the humbleness of Bethlehem, but the humbleness of the overall background of this. So again, so I'm going to read from Luke two again. Uh, that's kind of going to be our basis, though. There's some stuff in Matthew as well, though. Matthew's going to come in a little bit later because I want to talk about that with, and it's going to go a little bit beyond his birth. We tend to relate the coming of the wise men around his birth, but it's not, it's actually I think from what biblical scholars have come across as he was probably um, even older than a toddler when the wise men came. I mean, I mean, he was not young, um, just like he was not young, young when his family fled to Egypt. There, there was time between his birth and the other before they ended up at risk and had to run because of Herod. But I'm going to read you Luke 2, 4... Um, yeah, Luke two, verse four through six, I guess. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth. Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop. I'm going to go back to the beginning of this from Luke two, the beginning through say verse six. Now it happened that in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus for a census to be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was going to be registered for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him, and was with child. Now it happened that while they were there, the days were fulfilled for her to give birth. Okay, so they went to Bethlehem. 
and I want to talk about that. I want to talk about Bethlehem, but I want to talk about Nazareth as well. So his parents are coming from Nazareth, and Nazareth, of course, we know is where he's going to go back to eventually when they come back from Egypt, from their fleeing to Egypt. That's where he's going to grow up in Nazareth, and that's where he's going to live until he's around 30 years old and he starts his ministry. And I've said it before, but we need to understand for those around Jerusalem, they saw Galilee as what we would call the spit, the sticks or the boondocks out, out in no man's land. Um, and Nazareth was the armpit of the armpit. Um, there was a couple of different places. The fact is the people in Nazareth thought Cana was the armpit of the armpit, but either way, those little, those little villages up in Galilee were considered to be serious backwoods. Um, <laughs> so people crack, and I, and I have to say this because I was born in Northern Alabama, but, uh, you know, one of the cracks about Northern Alabama is the way, the way you find a wife as you go to a family reunion kind of thing. So, so that's kind of, and I, I'm not saying that they did that in Galilee, but I'm, but I'm saying, you know, the, the, they were definitely considered the backwards country bumpkins. I mean, they, they were not, the, the, these were not the elite of the elite. But Joseph and Mary then went from there to Bethlehem. So you're thinking, oh, they're getting closer to Judea. They must be, you know, they're moving up. Oh, he's, 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 he's maybe living out there. But the fact is he's from this place closer to Bethlehem and, or closer to Jerusalem. And again, you're talking maybe five miles away between Bethlehem and, and um, Jerusalem. It's not far. Actually, today, you can't tell the difference. I've been there. Um, Jerusalem flows into Bethlehem, flows into Bethany. I mean, they all kind of run together due to overgrowth. Um, it's like where I live now. I'm out southeast of Tucson, Arizona. But when I was growing up, and I lived down in Sierra Vista, but we would come up to play sports against Tucson schools, like I'd play football against Tucson schools or Morana, which Morana is out Northwest of Tucson. And there was a distinct gap between the two. It was clear Morana was separate from Tucson. Nowadays, you have no idea. You cannot tell a difference. It's the same kind of thing. Okay. Now, but back then there was, there was, but Jerusalem is a walled city. I mean, it was truly, even back then in first century, it was a walled city. Again, we talked about that was we were coming through, um, John, we talked about the fact, um, that in the Passover, uh, as we were talking about coming in to this final Passover before Jesus is crucified, the one where Jesus is crucified, um, there were records of there being over a million people there in Jerusalem. I mean, so it's big and full. Now, admittedly, that was a festival. But again, the city had to be big enough to handle that for people to safely live and stay there throughout the festival. Well, that's not Bethlehem. As close as it might be, that's not Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a little unwalled village. I mean, didn't even have a wall. I mean, it was that small. Didn't even have a wall. And there are records during the Herodian period, which is that, you know, that very beginning of the first century supposedly around the time Jesus was born and through the early parts of his life, the Herodian period, that village tended to have a census of maybe a hundred persons total, maybe a hundred persons total. So we're talking small, small, humble village. Um, it was a very small agrarian, 
um, and 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 cattle focused village, really sheep focused village. Thus, remember, David was a shepherd, and he came I, again. They're going there because that's the city of David. Again, it talks about that even in verse four, because he was of the house and family of David. That's why they were going to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was tended to be the family seat of the family of David, as it was of his father. You know, that was the thing. That's where he came from. But again, it was agrarian. It was, it was um, olive, olive groves and sheep tended to be the, the, the main thing there. But remember, maybe a hundred people total. And I'm, I'm talking a hundred people, not a hundred men, a hundred people. So this is not so like in Arizona, you can run across places out here in Arizona, Sedona is not very big, but it's very, very, very well known. Well, but it's very, very small in general, but it's not small town. That's not Bethlehem. It, you know, Sedona is not humble, not in any way, shape or form. And believe me, there's a lot of things I could say about Sedona, but I'm not going there. But Bethlehem, little, tiny, humble village, not even a hundred people. If you're going to bring about, I, I'm sorry, from a human perspective, if you're going to bring about the birth of the son of God, the birth of the savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the king of the kingdom of God, are we as humans going to do that in the little town of Bethlehem? I mean, I know we sing that song around Christmas. That's why I said it that way. The little town of Bethlehem. I mean, it... It is a truly small town. I mean, truly small town, small town like you and I probably don't even identify with. Actually, let me, let me tell you. So when I, well, so my father, when, when I went to enlist in the Navy and I met the MEP center up in Phoenix and we're filling out the paperwork. And fortunately I had asked my father about this, uh, before we did it. Um, so I knew the right answers. So we're filling out the paperwork and I had to get part of the information I had to give. Of course, this is also for background checks and stuff like this, because I was going into a field where I was going to end up needing a top secret security clearance. And they asked where my father was born and he was born in Rosetta, Mississippi. Let me be clear. This was in the nineties and Rosetta, Mississippi didn't exist then. Not anymore. It was gone. I mean, yeah, there's kind of a marking in the road, but it, it's not even a little town, a little unincorporated doesn't even exist anymore. Um, the town I remember going to, to see my grandmother was Gloucester. Gloucester had a two block main street where the majority of any shop you could go to was on those two short blocks with the police station just back off of the main street down one of the side streets. And then there was houses and that was it. That was the town I remember going to as where my grandmother lived, my cousins, my aunts and uncles lived there in Southwest Mississippi. Bethlehem smaller than that. I mean, and that's really, really small, but I mean, even that doesn't get across how humble Bethlehem is. Uh, I mean, again, we even see that in the old Testament though it talks about, and it makes very, very clear that Jesus is going to come from Bethlehem. It makes very, very clear how humble Bethlehem is. This is not the expectation of 
the ruling elite. That's why they don't get it. I mean, that's why they really don't understand. That's part of why they don't don't grasp. And, and again, part of it, um, and it's a cultural thing. That's why I say with the with the uh, as much as I've talked about that, the disciples just don't get it. At least not until the Holy Spirit indwells them, and all of a sudden, bing, and you know things go off in their heads, and the lights come on, and they're like, "Wow, okay, we got it." But they didn't, and it was a cultural thing. Again, they were raised on the wrong stories, um, on on misleading stories because they were absolutely certain that this Messiah was going to come from one of the, one of the elite families, one of the elite ruling families descended from rulers and et cetera, et cetera. And he did. He comes from the line of David. Actually, both sides come from David. And I say both sides though. Um, genetically, he's only descended from Mary by being the first son of Joseph, though, because he's basically adopted as Joseph's first son, he's considered descended from Joseph as well. Both of them descended from two different children of David. So both sides descended from David, but they don't grasp that. They don't get it again. They, they, you see them talk about it, that he's from Nazareth. Now, of course, if they'd have dug into it, they'd have realized because of his parents that, yeah, he may have grown up in Nazareth, but his parents were from, from actual, um, Bethlehem. So they would have gotten a, be a better grasp, but they still wouldn't have, they still wouldn't have, uh, have understood it because again, they're so caught up in self-righteousness and, and pride. Again, we've talked about that, um, that, that the, uh, religious elite, they love the, the, the chief seats, you know, it's, it's like, um, if you watch hockey, people, people want the seats of, if they're going to the games, they want seats at center ice, um, basketball, you want seats at center court, uh, football, you want seats on the 50 yard line. These, these guys, the, these, the religious elite, they wanted the best seats. They wanted the, to, to be honored at, at feasts and stuff like that. So they could not comprehend of a child that was the physical incarnation of their savior being born in this village of Bethlehem. And again, like I've said, we've got to understand the humbleness of it. And I say that it is so, so critical because until we can get our head out of the pride spot, until we can get our head out of the self-righteous spot, where we're looking for our own righteousness. We're looking again, Martin Luther's very, very clear. Um, um, he was talking about the, where he came to salvation was the realization there in Romans one, uh, verses 15, 16 and 17, the realization that the righteousness spoken of there that brings about our salvation is an alien righteousness. It's not ours. It's of God. Thus, unless we can come to a place of humbleness, like that which Christ shows, and thus we can acknowledge the fact that we are unworthy, we are sinners, we are unworthy, and the only way we can be saved is through the righteousness of Christ, we're never going to be saved. That's why I think the humbleness of the Christ child, I mean, I mean, this is from the get-go, from his birth, Christ manifests humbleness. And it is that example we must follow. That's why I think it's so important for us to see the humbleness of the birth of Christ, the humbleness of the Christ child. 
All right, that's going to do it for this evening. Again, I hope this time together, I realized that this is kind of a weird thing for me to do, but I just, I, I really thought we ought to talk about this considering we're coming up on Christmas Eve, Christmas day. Um, and it's something about it that I, that I think is very important. And I think we miss it in our society. Our society is very much not about being humble. Even within the church is not really about being humble. Um, and I think it's critical that we understand and strive for that true humbleness. All right. Well, let's see. Let's do our evening devotion uh, from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. And hey, it's in Revelation. The, this text for it is from Revelation 21.1. And there was no more sea. <clears throat> Scarcely could we rejoice at the thought of losing the glorious old ocean. The new heavens and the new earth are none the fairer to our imagination, if indeed literally there is to be no great and wide sea with its gleaming waves and shelly shores. Is not the text to be read as a metaphor tinged with the prejudice with which the oriental mind universally regarded the sea in the olden times? A real physical world without a sea, it is mournful to imagine. It would be an iron ring without the sapphire, without the sapphire, excuse me, which made it precious. There must be a spiritual meaning here. In the new dispensation, there will be no division. The sea separates nations and sunders peoples from each other. To John and Patmos, the deep waters were like prison walls, shutting him out from his brethren and his work. There shall be no such barriers in the world to come. Leagues of rolling billows lie between us and many a kinsman whom tonight we prayerfully remember. But in the bright world to which we go, there shall be unbroken fellowship for all the redeemed family. In this sense, there shall be no more sea. The sea is the emblem of change, with its ebbs and flows, its glassy smoothness and its mountainous billows, its gentle murmurs and its tumultuous roarings. It is never long the same. Slave of the fickle winds and the changeful moon, its instability is proverbial. In this mortal state, we have too much of this. Earth is constant only in her inconstancy, but in the heavenly state, all mournful change shall be unknown and with it all fear of storm to wreck our hopes and drown our joys. The sea of glass glows with a glory unbroken by a wave. No tempest howls along with peaceful shores of paradise. Soon shall we reach that happy land where pairing, I'm sorry, where partings and changes and storms shall be ended. Jesus will wait us there. Are we in him or not? This is the grand question. All right. Well, that is our episode today. I thank you for spending this time with me, especially as we're closing in. I'm sure you're very, very busy, just like, just like we all are um, in this season of the year. And actually, this is my last work week of the year. I've got a four-day work week, and then I'm actually off till after the beginning of the year. I don't ever do that. I finally decided this year, uh, 23 years into working for this company, decided, you know what? I'm taking this time off. So, I'm going to do that. I'm actually doing it to be able to spend time with my grandchildren, but also to work on the podcast and get it ready for 2024 and to work on some study I want to do. But I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you tomorrow morning for our, for our podcast. Um, let's see. Let's go ahead and close out with the third day evening prayer. It's called Before Sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to thee. <clears throat> Sorry. Ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. 
we do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us, thy promises encourage us, our broken hearts incite us, the mediator draws us, thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you tomorrow. Have a good one. God bless. Music